Good afternoon. I'm Shelby Herbert. Welcome to Midday Magazine for Tuesday, January 24th. The National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration has denied a request to close crucial habitat for red king crab to commercial fishing. That comes after the Alaska Bering Sea Crabbers Association petitioned in late September for a closure of the Red King Crab Savings Areas to protect the species during a time of historically low stocks. The nonprofit, which represents independent crab harvesters, requested that the grounds be closed to all fishing gear from January 1st of this year through the end of June. The Bristol Bay Red King Crab Fishery has been closed to fishing for two years due to low population. The savings area was established in 1996 and is permanently closed to bottom trawling, but it remains open to midwater pelagic trawlers, pot fishing, and longlining. Bottom trawling is allowed, however, in a small section within the savings area when Bristol Bay Red King Crab is not open to directed fishing. Jamie Gowen is the executive director director of Alaska Bering Sea Crabbers. In a letter addressed to the North Pacific Fishery Management Council in December, she argued that pelagic trawling or midwater trawling has similar aspect impacts to the seafloor as bottom trawling. She urged, she urged council members to consider closing the king crab savings area for lo- roughly 180 days of the year when crab stocks are most vulnerable. The council said that the closure, quote, could provide habitat benefits through reduced bottom contact by crawl gear, trawl gear, end quote. Still, despite Goins and about 25 other comments, the agency chose not to recommend the proposed emergency action. And on Friday, NOAA Fisheries announced that they had denied the petition and would not close the areas. Their reasoning, the emergency regulations wouldn't address the low stocks or declining trends of mature female crab. They say taking emergency action and changing the rulemaking process isn't worth it. In response, Bering Sea Crabbers says harvesters are, quote, dismayed and deeply disappointed, end quote. NOAA is working to facilitate quick relief funding for various fishery disasters, including the most recent king crab and Bering Sea snow crab closures. Historically, that kind of funding has taken years to reach the hands of fishermen. About 20, pardon me, about 80 Petersburg residents marched on a cold, drizzly Sunday down Main Street to support the right to life. People carried signs and read declarations out loud at each intersection along the route. Participants and organizers in Petersburg say the march is about more than just pro-life beliefs about abortion. Petersburg's march was part of a nationwide demonstration 
The movement is also against euthanasia, domestic violence, and human trafficking. Rachel Cassandra was at the march and created this audio postcard. The first voice you'll hear is of Rob Schwartz. The Bible declares that God is the creator and sustainer of life. Life is sacred from the moment of conception to natural death. Amen. Amen. So we'll go ahead and march on down to the next intersection. I am Earl Medkiff. I have been part of the fellowship of this community for a good long time. And I'm glad to be here to say that I am for sanctity of life. We think sanctity of life is just for abortion, but it has far more than just that. It is all of life. Even now, uh, people do not appreciate life. Well, look at the killing in America on the street. There is no respect for life. Look at the trafficking of women. Look at domestic violence that is not uttering life. I believe that we're in dark times whenever we do not value each other. My name is Michelle Fund. Today is the March for Life. In town here, it was a couple days ago nationally. For us here, a lot of us view it as a matter of our faith. So we're here to celebrate that. Nationally, the big question is, why are they still continuing if Roe v. Wade is no longer part of it? But March for Life has never been totally about the legislation. It's been about changing the minds and hearts of people. And to bring back that sense that all life is precious. There's different states doing different things, which I totally support. And as a constitutionalist, I thought that's always the way it should be. Sometimes we just need to come together in a sense to know that there's others like us who support the same things and that there is solidarity in life. My name is Marge Oynes and I have lived in Petersburg for a long time. I guess I believe that God is life. I mean, God has life and created life and created the world and babies are just a part of that life. And so I want to support life. I've seen babies born. I've seen them not born. And I like life. My name is Beth Richards. I believe that life starts at conception. And I believe that it is a wonderful thing to be alive. I am so thankful that other women have given their child a chance to live. And I'm, I'm just celebrating life, that it starts at conception, and that it's a right that shouldn't be taken away from a child. I am not willing to stand still or quiet anymore. I need to let people know that this is the right thing to do.
That was an audio postcard from Sunday's Right to Life March in Petersburg. About 80 people walked along Main Street and ended in front of City Hall. Teachers, school administrators, and parents rallied outside the Capitol building yesterday to call for increased education funding. Alaska funds school districts through a formula called the Base Student Allocation, or BSA. It determines the amount of money per student a district gets from the state. Cheyenne Quaylar teaches science at Zontika Heaney Middle School in Juneau. She discussed the BSA on K2 last week. Since 2017, uh, it's only increased 0.5%, but as many of us know, inflation's increased 15.4%. And so districts across the state are really feeling the impact of this. Music teacher Mike Busey says the lack of education funding is impacting negotiations with teachers' unions. The Juno Teachers' Union declared an impasse in its negotiations with the school district last month. Teachers and staff in Fairbanks have had similar problems. In the classroom, you just feel that there's not the resources, more and more students with fewer and fewer resources year after year. Uh, and that all goes back to the formula funding. State funding also affects the district's abilities to hire other workers, like paraprofessionals who work with special needs students. Busey says budget cuts hurt students, especially when class sizes go up. I know one of the sixth grade teachers this year started with 43 kids in his class. Sixth graders, these are 11-year-olds, 43 of them, uh, many of them with special needs. How on earth is he going to help a student that's struggling with something in that class? It's impossible. The Alaska Association of School Boards has also called for a defined benefit retirement plan for teachers. Juno Senator Jesse Keel has introduced a bill to give public workers, including teachers, the option to pay into a pension. Sitka Superior Court Judge Pate has been appointed to the Alaska Supreme Court. Governor Mike Dunleavy had announced Pate's appointment on Friday afternoon. Pate was selected from a list of four attorneys and judges nominated by the Alaska Judicial Council in December. Pate was Sitka's public defender for over a decade, from 2006 to 2017. Before that, he worked as an in-house counsel for the Sitka tribe of Alaska and as a private practice attorney. He moved to Sitka in 1993 after earning his law degree at Lewis and Clark Northwestern School of Law. Five years ago, Pate was appointed to serve as Sitka's Superior Court Judge by then-Governor Bill Walker. Here he is speaking with KCAW in 2018, shortly before he was sworn in, about how he'd handle the transition from lawyer to judge. Yeah, it's going to be a change for a baseball player to become an umpire, but it's a, it's a different job. Maybe you'll miss the thrill of the chase, but um, 
I'm looking forward to a different role and experiencing a different side of the law. Pate was in court on Friday and could not be reached immediately for comment. He will fill the vacancy created by Chief Justice Dan Winfrey's retirement. The Alaska Marine Highway System ferry Latuya will be out of service until at least February 1st. That's according to the State Transportation Department, which made the, ala- the announcement a week after the boat stopped making runs to Metlakatla. Shannon McCarthy, a spokesperson for the Alaska Department of Transportation, says the boat has a generator engine failure. The Inter-Island Ferry Authority, which is a small regional ferry line, will continue to fill in for the Latuya while it's sidelined. There will not be disruption to the sailing schedule to Prince of Wales Island. The boat will leave Ketchikan at 11.30 a.m. and arrive in Metlakatla at 12.15 p.m before leaving Metlakatla at 12.30 p.m. and arriving back in Ketchikan at 1.15 p.m. The State Board of Game unanimously struck down a proposal that would have required young hunters in the southeast to complete an, an education course to be able to hunt on their own in the vast majority of the region. The board decided that the change could cause too much potential red tape in remote areas and unfairly limit subsistence hunters while costing too much for the state's fishing game department. Reagan Miller has more from Ketchikan. The proposal would have required all Southeast area hunters born after January 1st, 2010 to be certified through an education course to hunt alone. Without that certification, they'd have to hunt with someone born before that date or someone already certified through the new course. This would have applied to game management units 1 through 5. That's almost all of Southeast, including Ketchikan, Prince of Wales Island, Juneau, Petersburg, Wrangell, Haines, Skagway, Yakutat, Pelican, Huna, and Ingoon. The proposal was brought forward by the Juneau-Douglas Advisory Committee. Kevin Meyer is the committee's chair. He told KRBD the idea started with a committee member who volunteers as a hunter education instructor. He really sees the value in the program, thinks that it's a good avenue to introduce youth to hunting and to do so in a safe way. And so, yeah, he's been a big advocate. Um, when we met in the spring, he put that proposal through and, and um, yeah, we're, we were happy to support him and happy to support that idea. Meyer says his group is aware of all the ways Juno differs from the rest of the region. And we're aware that it's easy to sit in the capital with, you know, relatively stable broadband and, and access to all the resources that we enjoy in Juneau and, and, and advocate for this. We think it's a great program. Meyer says his committee was realistic about their expectations and didn't expect it to get past the board. We also recognize that there are some concerns um, for accessibility. And um, I think there's also some interesting sort of cultural issues, too. You know, like I think in villages, you, you learn different ways and you learn through different different methods and and uh, we don't intend or want to undo those or, or undercut those in any way. Sitka area biologist Steve Bethune explained the proposal to the Board of Game during Saturday's deliberations. While the department is in favor of certification courses to educate hunters and decrease firearm incidents, 
the logistical barriers of southeast Alaska would make it extremely difficult to reach every hunter who would be required to complete hunter education under this regulation. Normally diligent subsistence users who live in units one through five may find it difficult to comply due to these logistics and thus the reasonable opportunity to take an animal for, for subsistence uses may be hindered. He says the state's Department of Fish and Game already has a hunter education program with eight staffers and 500 volunteers. But that might not be enough to meet the demand that the requirement would cause, especially for communities off the road system where travel is expensive and weather dependent much of the year. Stosh Hoffman of Bethel is the board's vice chair. He expressed concern about families that rely on hunting. In some of these very rural areas, having someone require them to get a license to feed their families is kind of contradictive. It just doesn't flow, sit well with me. In fact, it could cause a lot of harm if we required that, so I'm, I'm not in support of it. Member Jake Fletcher of Talkeetna worried the regulation would prevent elders from passing on traditional knowledge. In this state, we're really unique. I think we depend on our, our elders in our community to impart a lot of this knowledge onto our youth and take them out, and, and uh, it's really important. Ultimately, the board had too many concerns to pass the proposal and unanimously voted against it. Final action on proposal number one, Mr. Hoffman. No. Mr. Cooney. No. Mr. Brett. No. Mr. Keogh. No. Ms. Kusek. No. Mr. Fletcher. No. Chairman Burnett. No. Proposal fails, zero to seven. But despite voting the proposal down, the board wasn't against increased hunter education, especially for youth. Wasilla-based member Lynn Keogh shared an idea. When I was in elementary school, I went through hunter ed in, in school. So it seems like it'd be at least worth a conversation for the department to get with the various school districts around Alaska and see if maybe if they can't offer the program and kind of carry, carry the ball there. Saturday was the beginning of the Board of Games deliberations on game proposals from all over southeast Alaska. The hunter education proposal was the first deliberation the group took up as it was at the top of the list of proposals affecting multiple regions. The board meeting runs through Tuesday in Ketchikan. Reporting in Ketchikan, I'm Reagan Miller. And for KFSK, I'm Shelby Herbert.